Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast. I'm Joe Castellano. Well, a lot of you know that I hosted a talk show on Sirius XM for five years, a baseball talk show, and that was a lot of fun. Although when I first started doing the talk show, it was really kind of out of my element because I've been doing play-by-play for most of my career, and doing a talk show is not easy, especially when you first start out, because you have to talk to an audience without a game in the background. Uh, You really have to have a lot to say. And today's guest has a lot to say and is always entertaining. Amy Lawrence from CBS Sports Radio, host of After Hours with Amy Lawrence, is joining us today on the podcast. She has a lot of experience, nine years at CBS Sports Radio now, after nine years at ESPN Radio. She also has done play-by-play of women's basketball at the University of Hartford, and she's been an analyst as well and worked for Westwood One on some basketball games. Uh, I first met Amy back in the 90s when I was doing the Rochester Red Wings games, and she was the producer slash board op. Now she's a big star. So Amy Lawrence, our guest today, here was the conversation that we had on Thursday. Amy, it's great to have you here on the Sports Virus Podcast. Uh, we're bringing in 2022 with some great guests, including you. And uh, you've been around a long time doing sports talk radio. And one of the best weekends, really, of the year is the NFL playoffs and wild card weekend. You must be excited. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. Oh, well, thank you for the invitation, Joe. I feel like you and I have been friends and colleagues for as long as I've been in this business. It's maybe even longer because this year, actually this month, I am marking 20 years in full-time sports radio, but I believe you and I met in Rochester before I was even in full-time sports radio. So I would say you're probably one of my oldest colleagues and contacts since I got into this business, so we go way back. (laughs) Yeah, no, we'll definitely get into that because there's a lot to talk about as far as your your background, but I did want to start with just talking about what's happening this weekend, and you know this yes. podcast really has a West Coast slant, a Bay Area slant, and there's Niners Cowboys going on this weekend in Dallas. I, I just can't wait to watch this game, Amy. How about you, knowing you know the history of the rivalry and the way these two teams are playing now? I am really excited about this matchup, and it, it's almost a tale of two completely different teams. Uh, their strengths overlap in some ways, but they're, they're not at all similar. Uh, they come at their wins and, and how they got to the playoffs in completely different ways, so I think it's fascinating. But I would say this is probably the game I'm most looking forward to, and I like what Jerry Jones said. Well, they've obviously gotten to a Super Bowl more recently than we have, but yeah, if you grew up on, say, 80s and 90s football, these are the two teams, that, along with the Steelers, maybe that was pre, uh, pre-80s, pre but these are the two teams that really captivated America, and, and a lot of fans who grew up in, in that, you know, that era, that generation, would consider these to be the two iconic franchises. Yeah. And so to see them at this point meeting one another, clashing a battle of wills and a, a contrast of styles, I think is 
so cool. It really is. You know, I, I actually got chills watching the Joe Montana documentary, the first two episodes of it anyway, uh, <laughs> Cool Under Pressure. They showed the catch, and they they went through it in great detail. And I, I got chills watching that. And, you know, it just makes you think, you know, this rivalry has been going on for a long time, going back to that pass to Dwight Clark by Joe Montana, and it really makes you think about how great it's been for so long. Remember that live? Of course, I've seen it, but that was kind of pre before I was into football at all. A little bit too young, but I I do believe that the sad saps who never saw Joe Montana or Jerry Rice play <laughs> have really missed out because as much as we know that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time for a variety of reasons, the records, the rings, the longevity. Joe Montana was a different cat. He was not only a winner and very skilled, uh, but he was as clutch as Brady is and never played in a Super Bowl that he didn't win, right? And so to go back and see some of his great games and incredible moments, those really are hallmarks of the NFL. It's, it's amazing. And then you think about the Cowboys, too, and their – you know, their Emmett Smith moments and Troy Aikman, and we could go on and on about the different stars that wore uh, the silver and the blue. And so, yeah, it's neat. The franchises are different, but I think the NFL is better, Joe, when these two teams are successful for a variety of reasons. They're old, established, passionate, loyal fan bases, uh, but also we know what they've meant to the history of the NFL. And the expectation level is really off the charts for both teams. And when I think about the 49ers this year, there was a high expectation, you know, coming off all the injuries last year and they didn't play well. And everybody thought, okay, they are pretty well loaded. But Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he was sitting there all year with somebody waiting to take his job in Trey Lance. And the the 49ers gave up a lot to get Lance. How did you see it all play out from your perspective? And, you know, doing a late-night talk show where you have a lot of West Coast listeners, I'm, I'm curious what they were saying about Jimmy G and Trey Lance throughout the season. Well, as you know, there were a lot of people that felt like Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, we know his ceiling. We, we, we know who Jimmy Garoppolo is. There's a lower risk factor than starting a raw green, albeit very athletic and, and talented rookie. Uh, but there's also a lower ceiling, right? So from what we know of Trey Lance, and it's very new, uh, but certainly having the Niners move up to get him and Kyle Shanahan as, as the quarterback guru, uh, understanding what his potential is. And, and we've seen even development in the few games and series that he's been on the field, right, that pure athletic talent. But I've said this from the very beginning, if Garoppolo is not on the field, these Niners do not have a chance to win a Super Bowl. No rookie quarterback has ever led his team to a Super Bowl. And Trey Lance is not your – he's not Mac Jones, right? He didn't play at Alabama and in a national championship and sit on the stage for the Heisman. That's not where Trey Lance is. That's not his career arc through college. And so the best opportunity for the Niners to be competitive and challenge for a playoff spot and now a Super Bowl is 
that Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, number one, and number two, that he's on the field because the experience he brings, the steadiness he brings, and I know it's not been perfect. He had a couple of mistakes even in that game against the Rams, but the rally and the poise and, of course, the ability to read defenses, which is something that rookie quarterbacks struggle with. So it was always best-case scenario for Jimmy to be out there. And, and I'm so impressed, even in the face of fans across the country saying this is ridiculous when they started out. Obviously, they had a couple of injuries early, especially to their running back core. But when he first started, or when they first started out and they were in a hole, and so many people were calling for them to just throw this season away and put Trey Lance out there, not only did Kyle Shanahan stick with the program, believing that they had plenty of time to figure it out and turn the ship around, but you never once heard Garoppolo fight back or defend himself or you know push back against those people who felt like his time has passed. And you know I've called him dead man walking on the show because <laughs> for better or for worse, that's what he is in in the Bay Area. I know that. They've made the playoffs, and he's played well, but clearly they're planning to part ways. They can get out from under his contract without too much of a punishment or a penalty, and they brought Trey Lance in for a reason. So Garoppolo will be somewhere else next season, and yet it has not seemed to have affected him at all. He's continued to work hard, and and once again, we saw on Sunday, he is the best option for the Niners at quarterback. Absolutely. I I love the underdog. I don't know about you, Amy, but I I love the guy who is pressed up against the wall like Jimmy G and has to try to come through. Look, Joe Montana, if you watch that uh, documentary, uh, he was not the number one quarterback even on his high school team. And then Notre (laughs) Dame and then with the 49ers. So I I love this dynamic. And even with Dak Prescott, you look at him, I mean, he wasn't going to be considered to be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL either. So those kind of storylines really uh, perk me up. What do you think? Amy, when you see you know somebody who's not supposed to be the best player, oh no, it's it's awesome, and that's what sports is all about, right? That you really can affect your path, you can affect the outcomes, you can affect wins and losses by sheer will and determination and work and preparation. Yes, there are some incredibly gifted and talented athletes. We see them all the time. Guys who are physical specimens, uh, you know, guys who really don't have to to work that hard to be physically and, and um, not just physically, but like tough and the you know dominant. Um, but with with guys who will put in the extra work, mental as well as physical, with guys who have a bigger heart, that to me always is a part of the story that analytics can never chart or come up with a formula for. That's why analytics can only tell you part of the story, because they don't measure the human spirit. They don't measure desire. They don't measure what happens in a clutch situation. They don't measure how human beings respond to adversity and how resilient we are as people. And it's been amazing to see not just Jimmy Garoppolo, but I would say other stories too, like Debo Samuel. Now, he's very gifted, but they've asked him to completely change positions and learn a different different way to help this team, and he has done so. Think about Nick Bosa coming back from his injury last year, one of the reasons why the Niners struggled in 2020, and he's had this phenomenal season quietly, I think, because of all the attention on T.J. Watt and others, but 15 and a half sacks and really shoring up that defensive line. There's some great stories on this Niners team, some of the young guys they brought up who, who have kind of figured it out and found their footing, but I would say, yeah, ultimately right now, 
not only are the Niners an underdog, but Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of America's underdog. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And yeah, there's so many yeah, players there that you mentioned that could be the team MVP. And, and let's throw in George Kittle as well as you know oh, another sure. guy that, you know, and Elijah Mitchell's had an incredible season. So the Niners and Cowboys, that's going to be fun. Another big story uh, just recently is Clay Thompson returning to the Golden State Warriors. And I, I think that's another thing, another uh, event that I think could give you chills, just seeing him take the floor again after being out for two years. I mean, he was just over-amped to, to play the first game. Uh, but what do you think it means to the Warriors and the NBA to have Clay back? Well, it means up so much. It means more eyeballs to the TV. It means more fans who are interested. It, it's exactly the jolt that the NBA needs. And you want to talk about an incredible story. The same way that I felt watching Alex Smith, who of course was drafted by the Niners in 2005, the same way that I saw him or felt when he returned to the field after two years and a devastating broken leg that nearly claimed not just his limb but his life. Yeah. What was it? 17 surgeries and he returns to the field and is able to not only play, but play well and be part of a division champion last year in Washington. That's how I felt about Clay returning to the court. And as it happened, it was Sunday, the final weekend of the NFL regular season. So I watched him warm up and then I had to get back to football, but I did tape the game. So this was me on Tuesday evening. I finally had a chance, Joe, to sit and watch that entire game from start to finish, including the warm-ups with the introductions. I was crying, crying, <laughs> because I was so happy for him. I mean, you say two years. It was 31 months, nearly a 1,000 days. Yeah. And I just remember last year when he blew out his Achilles, he was, what, two and a half, three weeks away yeah. from returning to the court. Just awful, devastating. Remember Steph talking about how they, you know, he cried, and everybody, like, you know, with the, the, the Warriors brain trust rushed down to L.A. to try to be there for him. But there was nothing that could be done. He had to start all over. And so the moments that meant so much to me, not only his teammates' reactions, uh, when he had that power dunk, oh my goodness, Steph was running laps on the baseline, and, <laughs> and the whole team was going crazy. But the fans, with every catch, with every pass, with every shot, and of course with every make, his smile, and in addition to that, him saying after the game, Every single squat, every single day in rehab, every single doubt, all of it, all the time away was worth it to come back for this night. I mean, that man loves basketball. That's all he wants to do is play. And so it was cruel that it was taken away from him because there are a lot of guys that maybe wouldn't even care that much. Clay cares. It's part of his core. It's part of his soul. And that celebration when he returned had to be one of the coolest things I've seen in sports in a year. Yeah, that's really well said, and I feel the same way. And, Amy, you know, it's interesting because we all have teams that we dislike. Maybe they're, you know, a team that has won a lot, and they're not our favorite team. Uh, but I find it hard to believe that there are fans out there that wouldn't find Steph Curry and Clay Thompson likable. I mean, you have to kind of put aside your allegiance for a moment and just think about those guys, although I know you probably get a lot of calls from people who don't like them for the reason I mentioned, that, you know, they're having so much success. Yeah, I, I 
laugh when people say, I hate these guys or I hate that guy. (laughs) Really, hate in sports is just envy. It's just, hey, I wish they were on my team. I wish my team was doing what they're doing. Um, So, yes, I I do believe that those two guys, as a combo, as the Splash Brothers, the incredible skill, of course, but also how much fun they have uh, running the floor. And think about the Warriors. And I know they're not quite in that space yet, and Clay is still working his way back, and Draymond's been out, too, and getting hammered. Um, tonight by the Milwaukee Bucks, and so they've had a bit of a shooting slump. But this group of Warriors, when they are in that zone, so to speak, when they're locked in, the way they share the ball and run the floor, the way that they use their skills in the passing as well as the shooting, it's not just about popping the three, it's about finding the open man and getting the quality shot. It's about playing defense and using defense to turn it into offense. Sure, it's about speed and razzle-dazzle and about Steph, but it's a, it's, it's, Actually, and I'll say this because I've said it on my show, too, it reminds me why I fell in love with basketball in the first place. I'll be completely honest. I cut my teeth on late 80s, early 90s basketball, and I don't really like the current version of the NBA. I don't like iso ball. I can't stand teams watching teams taking you know, 55 to 63 point shots a game. I I can't stand the game that has no big men and no strategy to it. It seems like it's more fly by the seat of your pants, and it can be so ugly at times. I lament the loss of the half-court game, lament the loss of the the back-to-the-basket, certainly lament the loss of defense um, in some cases, too. So I don't really love today's NBA in the style. I know it's cyclical, but the Warriors remind me why I fell in love with this game in the first place. And I hear you on that, too, because just the other day I saw Andrew Wiggins. He's under the basket. He literally could have dunked it in with nobody (laughs) touching him, and he threw it out for a three. I mean, it's just like, what is going on? (laughs) Anyway, so let's get to baseball because there is no baseball right now. I mean, it's just ridiculous to have a lockout. Uh, You know, it's happened before. Uh, You just dread this kind of situation. So how do you see this playing out, Amy, as we get closer and closer to pitchers and catchers, uh, the date to report? It seems like we might be delayed on spring training. I don't have any insider dates here, but it does feel like there's not much of a sense of urgency yet. And that's really the only thing that's going to spur these two sides to action. I go back to 2020 and the fact that they put out all these fake proposals meant to try to drum up public support, all the leaks that were taking place uh, in the height of the pandemic, so the spring, when, of course, there was no baseball, but they were trying to figure out what a truncated season would look like and ultimately find out that it was just a big charade. All of those proposals that were put out there and the jawing back and forth was a big charade and really was probably trying to drum up support for the, for the situation we're in now where the two sides are once again uh, drawn you know, they've drawn lines, hard lines in the sand, and they're not moving forward. You know, I spoke to a former player who actually had lived through the strike of 98, or I'm sorry, of 94, and then, of course, the, the way that baseball returned with the home run derby in 98. And he was talking about why it is that the Players Association refuses to budge and, and the fact that they are the most powerful union in professional sports. And he says it's because we feel like we have to leave the game better 
third, then we left it. But honestly, my thought, and I respect that. I respect the fact that these players uh, have control of their own fate and they feel like they're not just at the behest of the owners. But honestly, baseball does nothing easy. And ever, they never just (laughs) take the simple, logical path. And by doing so, especially over the last few years, the, the American public, which, yes, we're sports fans, but we're also moms and dads and sisters and brothers and employees, and, and we have family members that are struggling with whether it's finances or the actual medical side of, of the pandemic. I mean, we're, we're members of a society that has really struggled over the last two years, and it alienates so many people for them to live out these fights publicly or to be at this point, just staring at each other and refusing to budge. It's like a peeing contest on a fire hydrant. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, it's just gross, isn't it? And so here's what I do believe. I do believe that ultimately, and sadly, Joe, I think this is what it comes down to. It's not about the fans. Baseball doesn't care about the fans right now. What baseball cares about is not losing any more money. And so because they were hurt so badly by 2020, as every sports league was, but baseball's earnings power is not like the NFL, right? It takes them a longer time to to recoup that money. Ultimately, the players don't want to lose any more game checks or any more salaries, and the baseball owners don't want to don't, they don't want to see their stadium shuttered again because they can't afford to lose more ticket revenue. And so, sadly, that's what's going to force them to find a deal. So I do believe maybe we'll miss a few weeks of spring training. I mean, sometimes players say it's too long anyway, or they, you know, they're taking time off in the middle of it. I, I would believe, I believe right now that we won't miss any games. But again, I come back to baseball refuses to do anything easy. And it just more and more, as I hear from fans all over the country, it's alienating them. Not to mention these stupid gimmicks like the runner on second base in extra innings. What are we in, Little League? (laughs) Like, why do we have to make the game easier? We don't need to make the game easier. Now, I do think baseball has an issue, a problem with the four-hour games because they're losing people who aren't going to stick around. I'll tell you, Joe, if I didn't get paid to watch baseball, I I mean, I have to know what's going on, right? So do you. But I don't know how many four-hour games I would stick around for. This one other way, and I know I have a really long answer, so thank you for uh, allowing me the time, but the NFL's committed to not having games that go longer than three hours. Whatever it takes, they're committed to that, and they've stuck to that for years. Roger Goodell, it's one of the things that he believes in, that you cannot ask fans to be giving up four hours of investment time, and I don't think baseball's quite figured that out, and Rob Manfred's willing to die on this hill with pace of play, and yet in years of trying to figure it out, he's, they've made no progress whatsoever. And so, this does not help. The fact that they're, they're arguing over money that most of us can't even uh, relate to or identify with, and then the the idea that they might delay the start of a season when this is what fans get excited about. It's pitchers and catchers reporting. It's the the idea of spring, not just spring training. And so, yeah, they're they're screwing around. It annoys me so much, uh, and I feel like they're only shooting themselves in the foot. Oh, yeah. I'm completely with you on that. And uh, now we also have, in a couple of weeks, the announcement of the results of the Hall of Fame 
voting. And, and that's right. really messy, too, Amy. That's not something that you really look forward to thinking about at times because, you know, you've got a criteria right now where it includes sportsmanship. And that's where I think a lot of voters are having a tough time with guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens because even though they weren't convicted of a crime, there's a mound of evidence against them. So it really makes it ugly when you keep that criteria in there and you got so many players that were possibly involved. Well, and they're just so arrogant about it, too. I mean, we haven't really heard much from either one of them in quite a while, um, but I do the arrogance about it and, you know, the, the the idea that they really never did come clean to the point where Roger Clemens even, you know, could have lied under oath. I mean, there's there's so many things about it that, that bother me. But I will say this, Joe, and I've maintained this over and over. You cannot tell the story of baseball without the steroid era. You really can't. And as much as we would like to get on our moral, uh, our moral horses here, moral high ground, and say, oh, these guys don't deserve to be in, they were cheating. I mean, there are a lot of guys who cheated or cheated the system or were just generally bad dudes who are in the Hall of Fame, whether it's baseball, football, basketball. I mean, we kind of got into this with the whole argument over whether or not Aaron Rodgers' off-field actions and a voter who thought that, you know, he shouldn't be an MVP because of the way he handled the vaccine, whether or not that's applicable to him being an MVP, right, and, and should that affect his vote. I mean, I... I feel like as human beings, we all have different things that bother us. And so if we're going to be considering morals and values uh, for the Hall of Fame, well, that's, that's tough because we all evaluate those things differently. We don't have the same set of standards. And, you know, baseball allowed the steroid era to flourish because they wanted, they desperately wanted fans to return and be excited about the game after the way they screwed it up in the early 90s. Funny theme that we're sensing here, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, here they are, like, trying to pretend, and this is voters, obviously, it's not baseball itself, but voters and, you know, trying to like rewrite history as though it wasn't a, an era that was fostered. So the fact that these guys are, are part of a you know, really big chunk of the, the game, I don't think that you can keep them out of the Hall of Fame. Isn't the Hall of Fame about telling a story, telling the story of baseball, preserving the history of baseball? Like it or not, this is a dark piece of the history of baseball. Yeah, I just think you got to get rid of that criteria and forget about sportsmanship uh, because, you know, <laughs> obviously those guys didn't have it. Uh, so I have really been enjoying this part of the podcast where I start to talk to my guests about their background. Uh, it's really brought out a lot of uh, interesting stories. And I want to start bad. with you. So, how did you get into sports? Just growing up, I know you grew up in New Hampshire. Did you ever dream that you'd be doing a national talk show? And why did you get into sports? Well, sports broadcasting was something that I decided I wanted to do in in my high school years. So 16 years old, I started telling people I was going to be the first female Johnny Most, who is the uh, former iconic radio play-by-play announcer of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And that's because I grew up in the boonies in New Hampshire. We didn't have cable TV when I was growing up. And so the only way I could follow my beloved Celtics, I fell in love with them in the late 80s, uh, when it was Celtics and Lakers, and, and that was really the height, in my opinion, of the NBA, or at least one of them, one of the peaks of the NBA history. Uh, but that's when I was following basketball, and so 
because I had to listen to them on the radio, I fell in love with this idea that you could describe the action or tell a story in such a way that listeners did not feel like they were missing anything simply because they could not see it with their own two eyes. And so I really just, I became a radio junkie. I would listen to NFL games late at night on Westwood One. Uh, and so I didn't really get into pro sports until my teenage years. I played every sport that I possibly could before that, although I sucked at golf when I was a kid. Now I love <laughs> golf, but I couldn't get the difference between swinging the baseball bat and swinging the golf club. Anyway, I wish I had. I could have gotten a great full ride to some uh, university somewhere. Anyway, so I played a bunch of sports when I was a kid. You know, I have, I have pictures of me in my little league uniform when I was in third grade and my, my stirrups and my hat that was way too big. And, and so I love playing sports. And then when it came to basketball, it was my, really my first love. I coached it. I refed it. I played it. You know, I worked with, with kids on the side, at, you know, in shooting. I played college ball, too. Um, and so I really, that's what I wanted to do. I went to school for communications initially, but I got an accounting degree as well because when I was coming through school, mentors of mine who presumably had my best interest at heart kept telling me, you know, women don't do sports radio. You need to have a backup plan. So I had an accounting degree, and I'm glad I did. I had a lot of accounting jobs on the side. Radio doesn't really pay well, you know. And so I, I'm glad that I had it. It was a great skill. Um, but I went on to Syracuse knowing that I could do whatever it is that I wanted and got my master's there in TV and radio. And you know, initially, the first part of my career, which included Rochester, which is where you and I first crossed paths, Joe, it was news. It was reporting. It was anchoring. It was writing. And I would not trade that for anything. As much as I was so desperate to get into full-time sports, I wouldn't trade that training or that experience because it taught me how to be objective. It taught me how to preserve my journalistic integrity when I need to. It taught me how to write and also tell a story. Um, and my last big news story that I covered before I made the jump to full-time sports was 9-11. Again, would not trade that for the wow. world because as a journalist, the only thing I wanted to do was tell people what was happening. It was all I knew how to do. And so I wouldn't trade it now for anything. So the first few years of my career were paid to do news, sports for free, or, you know, a small fund, or not a, not a fund, a small fee uh, that I would charge to do sports, mostly play-by-play, because that's what I wanted to do. Every now and then, uh, a talk show. But honestly, talk show hosting was never the goal. I, I never even thought about it, really. <laughs> I would listen to national talk shows when I was driving. I did a lot of driving, and you know, my family didn't live. Well, we were spread out, so... You know, once my mom moved back to Ohio to live with her parents, I'd be doing a lot of driving, and so I would listen late at night, and I would catch, say, Linda Cohn or, you know, some of the other uh, national talk shows at the time and think, okay, I could do that, but it was never really the goal. The goal was always play-by-play, and so... I kept doing that on the side and finally got offered um, in early 2002 a talk show on my own. It was afternoon drive. It was on a 1,000-watt station, barely got out of the parking lot, in the Norman, Oklahoma area, which is University of Oklahoma. I was there for a few years. And uh, I got fired a year later. <laughs> so I thought that was the end of my talk show career. I mean, I was terrible at it, I'm sure. I'm so glad there were no tapes. Um, but it was also, it was very much a gender thing, too, at looking back on it now. And so 
I went from there to New England, uh, back to New England where I'd grown up, but this time Providence, Rhode Island, worked on a talk show with a partner in the mornings, and on my one-year anniversary, got fired again. So my first two <laughs> talk show jobs, I got fired. I mean, both of them on my one-year evaluations. I walked in, I was prepared to have a conversation about my first year, and just got blindsided. It was eerie how the t- it happened twice in the span of three years. Anyway... From that point, I mean, they did me a favor in Rhode Island because I had been heard by a program director at ESPN Radio who, you know, is in Bristol, Connecticut, and he was kind of looking for people that he could bring into audition, especially women and minorities, because they had no one at that point on ESPN Radio that was different, uh, that were different voices. And so I started doing work there in Bristol, Connecticut. Ultimately, it turned into my full-time job, but I was still doing play-by-play on the side. I would travel to do Big East games, like did a an eight-game an eight-game package with Rebecca Lobo on TV, which was great experience for me um, and continue to do, you know, play-by-play, work with the University of Hartford women's basketball team for eight years and travel with them. And so that was also great. Jennifer Rosati, who had come from UConn, was the coach there. And so I fostered those play-by-play dreams, but in order to pay the bills, I had to do something. And so I was, I was doing the talk shows at ESPN Radio, I was picking up experience there and kind of understanding what it's like to host a national show. And then in and – and I outgrew it. I outgrew it, Joe. I really did. I, it, they had a formula. They have a successful formula at ESPN Radio, but as the only female voice, they were a little nervous about me having any kind of a personality. You know, I had one program director tell me, you really should not smile or laugh on the air because it takes away from your credibility. Yeah. Uh, and I had many of them <laughs> tell me that I should be more like the guys. Like, this is how you can be more like the guys. I had <laughs> someone tell me, you know, you don't, you don't have nearly as much. This is a female program director. You're just not all that knowledgeable about sports. I mean, all kinds of crazy wow. stuff. And again, it's because they were, you know, women at that time. And this actually, crazy enough, wasn't that long ago. This was, let's say, 2009, 10, 11. I mean, we're not talking about that long ago. It, you know, it took me four years before they would allow me anywhere near an NFL show. Like, it, it really was a different, even going back 10 years now was different in sports radio. And so, anyway, I kind of grew it. And when, a program director in the New York area called and said, hey, we're launching a national network. I'm a big fan of yours. What's your status with ESPN Radio? Can I hire you away? Uh, I took this crazy leap, and I left my whole life and started over again. Now, you know, we're, we're on in New York every now and then, but it's obviously a national network, CBS Sports Radio. Best move I ever made. My program director said to me right away, Mark Chernoff and Eric Spitz, who both now are, are gone, they said to me right away, we don't want you to be anything except for who you are. We like Amy Lawrence. We think she's got a great personality. We want you to be creative. Um, you know, th- they just wanted me to be me. They didn't want me to be like one of the guys. And it was so empowering, Joe, and it was so so much of a, a moment that set me free to, to just do a radio show, for better or for worse, the way that it fit me. And, you know, it's been, I mean, I've now been there nine years, and I've grown a lot. The show has grown a lot. But I, people said to me right away, you sound so much happier. You sound so, you just sound so much more comfortable. You sound so confident. And that was something these program directors gave me that I had never had before. So to answer your question, no, it was never the goal, but it turns out I'm pretty good at talking. And so, <laughs> and so now here we are 20 years later and, and my sports radio career is taking turns that I never thought. However, 
Basketball play-by-play, NBA play-by-play is still the goal, and I'm thrilled that there are now two teams that employ women as their primary play-by-play announcers in TV. I'm about to tell you a secret. I haven't really told a lot of people this. I applied for both of those jobs, and I knew I was a long shot. I knew I was because I don't have as much TV play-by-play experience. I have much more in radio. But I sent my tapes. I heard back from both. I'm thrilled that they hired women. i got to keep getting my stuff out there because ultimately that's the, that's the goal. But I love sports talk radio, and I love that I've created a niche that's so unique and that people continue to enjoy it. And so I'll do it for as long as they'll have me. <laughs> oh, well, I, and I got to tell you, I mean, I think that all women in sports broadcasting now should be thanking people like you because you were a pioneer. And I'm curious what kind of resistance that you encountered. You touched oh, on it a little bit. How much but time maybe, do you have, Joe? Yeah, but, but that compared to now where you see a lot more women that are talking sports and getting the jobs like you mentioned, uh, I would imagine that you have to be proud of the progress that has made that you've had a, a part in that. I am. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I'm, I'm mostly proud that I've survived and that despite all the resistance, and now you add social media into the mix, right? Despite all the resistance, I never caved. I never folded. I learned early on, and, and I've seen so many radio hosts, both men and women, decide the hours suck, the pay sucks, <laughs> the lifestyle sucks. It's not worth it. You know, it's, I, I've seen so many people just get out of the business, right? And so, you know, people say, I wish I could go back to my 20s. And I I know it's mostly about the age or like, hey, I had no responsibilities. Life was fun then. I wouldn't go back and do it all over again if somebody paid me a million dollars. No way. I've already lived through all the crap. I've already survived (laughs) all the resistance. And now I've got to the point where I don't want to say it never bothers me. Like, you know, I'll see things every now and then or I'll hear things that, that they'll get to me for a little bit and then I just kind of let them go. But I figured out how to filter out what has zero bearing on who I am or what I do. And so, I, I, yes, I'm, great, I'm, I'm grateful that I have been given opportunities that have allowed me to flourish. And I do every opportunity I can, Joe, and I mentor a, a, a handful of young women, some longer than others, any young guy who comes to me and asks for uh, advice or any type of insight about how to get in this business, I always answer. I talk to high school students. I talk to college students. And, again, I try to mentor young women who seem to find me on social media a lot of the time uh, because I didn't have that. I did not have a female uh, who would answer my questions or that I could go to. I really didn't have anyone. People ask me all the time, who was your inspiration? Honestly, it was other radio hosts, mostly in news, that I would listen to because I was a radio junkie, but not anyone I knew personally. There was no one. And, and so I wish there were more women in sports radio. I really do. I'm still the only one who does my, only, or my, uh, my talk show five nights a week solo. Right? There aren't any other females that do that at the network level. There are more and more female voices that are popping up, which is great. I do think the opportunities in TV sometimes are hard to resist. I just happen to be a unicorn in that I want nothing to do with TV. The only <laughs> the only TV I want to do is is play-by-play if it comes to that because you're rarely on camera. I have a brand-new producer. He's big into YouTube, right? He's 30 years old. He loves YouTube. I think he watches it more than he watches anything else. And so he's constantly asking me, can we do this video? Can we do this video? And I'm like, Jay, I'm only doing this for you. I hate being on camera. Um, so I, don't, I never will make the full-time jump to TV unless it's for hoops. And so radio, I still say, is kind of that vast wasteland, Joe, where there aren't as many women, but 
but there's more diversity, and I will give sports radio credit for that. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned uh, mentoring some younger people, and I'll never forget this, Amy. Uh, you were at Syracuse University, and Dave Ryan was teaching a class <laughs> yes. there. Uh, Dave yes. Ryan, who has been on you know CBS Sports Network as a play-by-play announcer, he calls me one day. I was the voice of the Rochester Red Wings, and he says, hey, do you want to talk at my class about play-by-play? Bring your cassette recorder, and you can play <laughs> some of that play-by-play, and you, know, and you can hit pause, and, and we can go over it. Well, there was really only one student who seemed interested. Everybody else looked like they were falling asleep while I was playing these clips. There was one student who was really into it, and it was you. You no were way. like, yes, you were Are in you Yes, you were in the middle. Yeah, you were in the middle of the classroom. And I kept looking around and nobody's making eye contact. Nobody's even paying attention except you. And then so I found out who you were, and I was like, okay, well, I think she's gonna make it in this business <laughs> based on the fact that she actually was paying attention to what I was oh saying. Now I don't gosh. know if it was any good, but it, what I was doing, but at least you were paying attention and that's a number one the first thing i think you got to do if you're in school and you're trying to make it in this business i cannot believe that you remember (laughs) that and also that i I don't because i generally do remember most of this kind of stuff but thank you for sharing that with me because i do remember dave ryan obviously uh he was one of my professors and of course i remember you and us crossing paths at baseball games in the stadium but i don't remember that but i do know (laughs) that as much as syracuse i mean it, it laid a great foundation it was the toughest and yet most rewarding year of my entire life uh it challenged me and pushed me in ways that i I mean, you would think I would. I thought it was going to die, but it, it also it was such a great stepping stone and led to so many contacts like you. But I do not remember that. I do remember the play-by-play classes. I remember that early morning. It was an eight o'clock play-by-play class, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but I don't remember you being there. Thank you so much for telling me that. <laughs> well, at least it was memorable for one of us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I and I have to say that uh you know you mentioned eight o'clock in the morning for the class that i really admire that you're able to do a show an overnight show and sound (laughs) as energetic as you do because that can't always be easy those hours are difficult to be perfectly honest and i've done morning radio i would rather work overnight than do mornings i suck at mornings (laughs) and by mornings i just mean the first two hours after i wake up i'm terrible at it it's just not who i am and so yes it is challenging but it's not so much being up overnight that's challenging because that kind of is i mean i guess my my body clock would be more like a 10p to 2a if i could pick something um i've often said to what my boss is gone now but we have a new boss but my former boss like if there was ever a time slot that i would choose over the one i have it would be more of a like a late night into the you know, early morning hours, but not quite the full overnight, because that's really when I'm most awake. However, sports is a unique animal, Joe. You know this. You work mornings. You miss everything that happened the night before if you're going to sleep. And in addition, I don't want to be one of those people who previews everything. I love coming on the air right after Mm -hmm. the games have wrapped up. And the fact that we go on the air at 11 o'clock West Coast time, 11 o'clock San Fran time, a lot of times there are games that are still going on that aren't quite done when I go on the air. But we're capturing that initial audience of people who are still on this adrenaline high from watching the great games. And it's it's so I, I love it. Also, my schedule allows me to be the first show on my network to talk about the NFL Sundays because I start Sunday night and run, th- run Sunday night through Thursday nights. But the, the biggest challenge, as much as I love the job, and I, big misnomer, 
is that I'm stuck there, right? No, that's not true. I've had multiple opportunities to change time slots and every time have turned down the opportunity believing that this was still the best thing for my career. And, it, and it's been great. It, grow, it, it has grown. However, the biggest challenge is I suck at sleeping. And, you know, we're not made to sleep during the daytime. And so as much as I know it's the right move for my career and I'm happy with the time slot, I'm tired a lot because I don't sleep well. I wake up a lot during the daytime. So, yes, it is challenging. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. But ultimately, it's worth it. And get this, not only are we starting year number 10 of CBS Sports Radio in 2022, but I just wrapped seven consecutive years on this show after hours with Amy Lawrence, which is 11P to 3A Pacific time. And so it's the longest I've ever been at one company. It's the longest I've ever been in one time slot consistently and also a secret that the whole the public does not know yet i just signed a three-year deal oh congratulations that's great thank you thank you uh at the end of this deal which there's always a chance you don't finish out the deal but let's just say i do i will have spent 10 years on the same show in the same time slot that's amazing, and I don't ever want you to leave that time slot because I, I love listening to you when I'm driving back from somewhere. And I have to tell you that recently I heard about your trip to Houston when you were driving through the rain with your dog and everything, and it made me think about how perfect you are for that job because you have to be able to tell stories. Sometimes they're not related to sports. Um, it's kind of you know it's kind of like being the baseball radio guy who has to tell stories when it's a you know a fifteen to one game or something like that. Uh, but you know that was, a, was just a great story to listen to you driving for the holidays to Houston and back to the East Coast. You know what? It's crazy, and I would say that anyone who's a pet owner or pet lover understands this, but it really was about the dog. I wanted to be able to go. I hadn't seen my mom since August, and... I had worked straight through. We had a brand new producer. It was crazy football. I hadn't had any time off. I didn't go anywhere for Thanksgiving. And so I was determined. I was going to stockpile all my time off. But in order to be gone for two and a half weeks, I had to take the dog with me. I can't ask someone to watch my dog for two and a half weeks. She's older. She's on meds. And she just gets anxious when I'm not around. And so (laughs) piled her in the car with all my stuff. And off we went. 1,650 miles down, 1,650 miles back, lots of rain, a little bit of snow crazy stops like yeah it was it was <laughs> insane but I have found and you you compare it to baseball play-by-play I, I have found that people relate far more to my personal stories for better or for worse whatever crazy things I get into which I seem to get into a lot of them but something is as as boring as a road trip right people care more about that my 99 year old grandmother my 12 year old dog um, you know what I make for Super Bowl like in terms of food like <laughs> I mean people care care more about my personal life than they do about what I say about sports, which I don't know what that means about my chosen career, but they do. <laughs> radio is ultimately about creating connections and about connecting with people. And I found that as much as pe- there are some out there that will tell you to stick to sports, mostly what people want is just a companion. And if it happens to be someone who's knowledgeable about sports and that they can relate to, uh, it's great. But yeah, people connect with me far more over things like road trips and and family and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Well, it's very entertaining, and you've entertained (laughs) us here. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much again for being a guest here on the Sports Virus Podcast, and I can't wait to listen to After Hours again, especially after Wild Card Weekend in the NFL, the 49ers and Cowboys being uh, the one that I'm really interested in. It's going to be fun. 
Me too. And I should also say I appreciate the times that you have come on my show periodically at my very different stops along my radio career. I know I talk and tell stories that go on far too long, so forgive me for that. But thank you so much for the invitation. It was fun. That's Amy Lawrence, my good friend, who is the host of After Hours on CBS Sports Radio. Speaking of CBS Sports, we are slated next week to talk to Jonathan Siegel, who is a producer of NFL Games on CBS Sports, as uh, he produces the Greg Gumbel, Adam Archuleta games. And right now he's working on the NFL playoffs as a replay producer. So looking forward to talking to Jonathan next week as we are scheduled to talk to him. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks a lot for listening to the Sports Virus Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.